Well, good morning. Go ahead and take out your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired. <laughs> Olympics are killing me. <laughs> I know... I mean, I know it's difficult to like train your whole life and then compete in them and everything, but it's hard to watch them too. <laughs> but I can't take my eyes off of it. Like it's just every night, it's like, oh, just one more race, one more swim, one more dive, one more badminton match, please. <laughs> like, this is fabulous. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that has nothing to do with anything. I just thought I'd share. <laughs> Well, it's been, it has been a good summer and I am, I'm grateful. I know the other guys are grateful for the opportunity that we've had to walk through this letter, First Peter, with you guys. And uh, it's just been a sweet time. And we'll be starting up a new sermon series next week. Pastor Doug's going to be doing that. We're looking forward to it. But we want to finish this well. And, uh, and this passage here at the end of First Peter, it really kind of contains the, the whole summary of this letter. So I would hope that we would walk away today with this here. We live on a spiritual battleground with a, with a powerful enemy and we are called to and able to resist him. And we do that by standing firm in our faith and clinging to the hope of eternity. That's what I hope we leave today with. Look down at your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to start uh, in verse number 8 and read this paragraph here. It says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. But after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. First thing we can see from this passage is this. Uh, we have a supernatural enemy who wants to destroy us. We have a supernatural enemy who wants to destroy us. Satan exists. It's easy to forget that sometimes, isn't it? Like he is real and he is powerful. And in his rebellion against the Lord, he wants nothing more than to destroy the faith of God's people. Verse eight, look at how he's described. He prowls around. He's like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour I've never seen a lion attack in person, thank goodness. But I have seen a, a cat attack. <laughs> so I'm sorry for anything that follows if you're a cat lover, lover kind of. Cats are evil. <laughs> they just, they just are. They look into your soul. The other day I was, I was running and I came around the corner in this road and I'm the only one out here and there sits this house cat right in the middle of the road, just staring me down. I'm 20 times its size and I'm terrified to try and get around it because it's just like, it looks like it's ready to pounce. I, I heard someone say one time that your dog views their 
owner as king, but the cat views its owners as its subjects. Yeah. And that, that's exactly it. Uh, when Amy and I first started dating, her family had a cat named Tinker. Um, Tinker was a big, huge, fat cat. And she couldn't even move. She didn't want to move. She got up and would just drag her belly along with her. But the second, the second you went to walk up the stairs in her home, the muscles of that huge cat would spring into action and it would jump at the back of your leg, wrap all four of its limbs around your leg and sink its teeth into your calf. For what purpose? some level of joy that it experienced <laughs> from hearing you yell in pain, right? And, and I know it's a silly illustration, but now think of that. Think of that times 50. She was a fat cat times 25. <laughs> like, I mean, that's horrible. I mean, to think of something that large and deadly as a lion, like, prowling and watching and ready just to spring into action, built for one thing and one thing only, devouring its prey. That's how Satan is described in this passage, right? He's seeking us, stalking us, ready to pounce and devour. He wants to destroy God's people. How does he attack? Well, lots of different ways, but all of those ways are for this purpose. He wants us to rebel against God, right? That's what we've seen back from even the first chapters of scripture in Genesis chapter three. He's tempting Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness and God's grace and to doubt God's promises, even the promises that we're gonna see here in this passage today. And ultimately he wants us to disobey God and completely rebel against him. Uh, devil here can be translated accuser or slanderer. And that's exactly the way that Satan wants to tempt us. He wants your faith crushed under the weight of suffering for Christ's sake. He, he wants you to doubt God's sovereignty and he wants you to fail to persevere. Look down at this at this first verse here in verse eight, and look at the comparison that you can see, the differences in the way that Satan relates to God's people and the way that God relates to his people. You know, Satan wants to devour them. He's seeking them. He wants to pounce on them. He prowls and waits for every opportunity to get them. Look at the verse before that. How does God relate to his people? He cares for you. What a stark contrast. So what are we supposed to do? Look at verse eight. It says, this is how we're supposed to live then in light of Satan's prowling. We're to be uh, sober-minded. We're to be self-controlled and we're to be watchful. It's, it's easy to forget the fact that we're in a spiritual war, isn't it? Like we can get lulled to sleep like Peter and the disciples when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Lord said, hey, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And what did they do? They fell asleep. We too are tempted, especially in our context, to get comfortable and to be distracted with all the shiny things in our world. And then we can fail to prioritize vigilance in our walk with Christ. And we're called 
be watchful. I, I saw this thing one time, uh, and these biologists were in this rainforest, and they were basically just walking through a rainforest, which is amazing, by the way, and they're just picking out different species of, of birds and snakes and reptiles of all kinds and bugs, and then they're just talking about them and filming them and do all this. There was, there's something, have you ever heard of this? There's something called a glass frog. It's like the size of your thumbnail, and its skin is transparent. So you can see all of its organs. So here's its, here's its heart, like the size of a pinhead. And you look at this frog, and you can see it beating in its chest. God's awesome. It's just amazing. But as, the, as they're going through this, this rainforest, their guide just kept saying, hey, uh, turn around, check behind you. Turn around, check behind you. They go a little way. Hey, make sure you're checking behind you, checking behind you. And the reason was, come to find out, there's jaguars in this forest. And so what the jaguars do is they come up on you from behind and they watch and they wait for when you're distracted and not paying attention when you're lulled to sleep, when you're looking at all of the beauty and the shiny things around you, and then they pounce and they strike. And that is what this passage is doing when it describes Satan. Don't allow him, church, to sneak up on you because you're, you're not keeping a watch on your, on your life, on your faith, on your, on your character saying, be watchful, stay focused, keep your eyes on what really matters so that you will stay alert. So we have a supernatural enemy who wants to destroy us. Second thing we can see here is this. We resist the devil by standing firm in our faith. We resist the devil by standing firm in our faith. Look at this. He, he prowls around seeking someone to, to devour. Verse nine. So resist him. Firm in your faith. Right? We're, we're commanded by God to, to actively resist the devil. And here's what's awesome. We don't need to fear him and his followers because we have power and promise from the Lord that we can resist. Uh, James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. How do we resist a fallen angel and his army bent on the destruction of Christ's church? Well, the way that we resist him, the way that we resist the devil is by standing firm in our faith. We resist him by trusting God. We, we actively defend against and have victory over the devil by having a, a settled confidence in God and his promises. We do it by trusting the gospel and living holy lives in obedience to God's will like we've seen Peter calling us to across this letter, uh, across scripture. Uh, we see this battle strategy again and again against Satan affirmed. Right? Uh, Ephesians chapter six says, stand against the, the, the devil and his army. How? By putting on the whole armor of God. Right? We're, we're meant to take up truth and the gospel and faith and salvation. We're meant to strike with the, with the word of God and 
prayer against him. These are the weapons of our warfare. Not merely more willpower or better strategies. We fight with faith. We fight by trusting the promises of our faithful Lord. How? How can we do this? How can we stand firm in our faith? We do it by clinging to hope. And specifically here in this passage, there's four, four. So here's four motivations for standing firm in our faith. First, first one is this, you're not alone. You're not alone. Look down at verse nine, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing, I love this, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he's saying, you can stand firm in your faith. Why? Because you know, because you know that your, your brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing and persevering through the same suffering for the sake of Christ. Why, why is that hopeful? Two reasons. First, first reason is hopeful is because you're not the only one, right? You alone have not been singled out for this suffering. Brothers and sisters here and around the world are experiencing that suffering also. And the second reason that's hopeful is because it means we don't have to endure it on our own. Struggles and suffering in this life. They can, they can tempt us to, to isolation and to self-loathing. And the devil loves to fuel the fire of pride in our lives that says, I'm the only one that's experiencing this. No one else gets it. And he loves to try and divide and conquer the body of Christ. He wants us to, to turn back in on ourselves while forgetting the shared struggles of the family of God. Does this describe you right now? Are you going it alone right now? Uh, this year, we were down in Florida for a little bit and uh, and the beach was just really neat this year. There was like this really long beach, like out to the sea. It just kind of had drawn, the water had drawn back a little bit and created some more beach. And then you went kind of into some ankle deep water for a few feet. And then it dropped into this kind of channel that ran along the beach. And it was about waist deep and it was a couple yards wide. And then it came back out of that and it was ankle deep again and you were on this sandbar. But our kids thought it was great to play in this current of water. Probably not the safest thing in the world because it was moving rather quickly. But this water was just kind of going along the shore like this and they would get in and they would just kind of ride it down like a lazy river. And then they would get down, you know, a few hundred yards and they'd, they'd turn around and then they'd walk back and then they'd do it again and walk back. And we're like, this is great. They're gonna sleep well tonight. <laughs> And they were, just, they were just having a blast. And at one point I looked over and they were on their way back against this current and they were struggling against it. And it was moving fast enough that it could have swept you off your feet and you were gonna be a long ways away before you 
before you even got out of it. And, and I'm like, oh, wow, they're really struggling against that. And they're just going hard against it. And then I looked away and then I looked back and I'd seen my two uh, daughters and they had joined arms. Right. It was and it was it's just a really beautiful picture of what this is saying. Right. So they they joined arms because they realized like any one of us without the other could easily get swept away. And we could end up far away, and I don't want that. In fact, one of my daughters said about the other, oh, I did it because I didn't want her to die. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right, that's a good reason. <laughs> like, and, and they're like, and we realized it just wasn't as difficult when we were doing it together. Like, what a perfect picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing. Right? As we go through this life, brothers and sisters in Christ, both here and around the world, are suffering in the same ways that you are. And you're not meant to do it on your own. We're called to do this together. We're called to endure. We're called to hold on to hope. We're called to resist Satan together. When one member suffers, we all suffer together. First motivation for standing firm in our faith is that we're not alone. Second motivation for standing firm is this. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. Look down at verse 9 and 10. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Verse 10. But after you have suffered a little while, a little while, like how long is that? Well, it's it's not more than this lifetime because it's contrasted here in this passage with eternity. And Peter's saying like, that suffering and slander and persecution, it will end for the child of God. It's not forever. You might be like, but Nate, it feels so long when you're in it feels like it'll, it'll never end. I know. Um, right now, the world's current official record for the fastest marathon run is two hours, one minute, and like 30-some seconds. And it didn't get beat this morning. The men's event was on this morning. It was, it was hot, so they were like seven minutes behind. But the same guy won it who set the record. And uh, two hours and one minute. That's like a four minute, 30-ish mile. That's insane. That's so fast. I mean, another wonder of God that the human body could even propel itself that fast. It's just miraculous. But it's interesting that most people are going to tell you that the hardest part of a marathon is the last five miles. Okay, and you might be like, hardest part of a marathon for me is like the first hundred yards. <laughs> True, okay. But the hardest part is that last five miles, okay? And they actually say, they say, have like a really conservative pace for the first 20, 21 miles. Like just, just say, this is gonna be my pace and I'm gonna stick to it. And then when you get to about that 21 mile mark, it's gonna get hard like you didn't experience in the first 20 miles. And you're really, like, really, the race starts then. 
Like this is going to begin. And I would say actually the last mile is the absolute hardest part of the marathon. And the reason is, is a lot of times you can almost even kind of see the finish line. It's right there. But this mile will never end. I'm so tired and your mind starts playing tricks on you and saying, oh, you've already run 25 miles. It's okay. Just walk. You've already run 25 and a half miles. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You accomplished it. It'd be good. You earned it. And you've got to fight against that. And the way you do it is by keeping your eyes up, keeping your eyes focused on the finish line and what your goal is. And you're like, that's it. I'm heading towards that. I'm going to endure. And it's going to be so much sweeter having reached that than it is right now. This is temporary. There's hope. It will end. And I'll be so glad when it did. And I'll forget how hard this struggle even was. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four. It says this. So we do not lose heart. <laughs> Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction. Wait, so... Light momentary affliction. Earlier in this chapter, he talks about what that light momentary affliction is. He says, we've been afflicted, we've been perplexed, we've been persecuted, and we've been struck down. That doesn't sound so light. But look, or you're not there. So listen what he says. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They are temporary. They are a little while. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Look at this. He's saying, he's saying listen, it's, it, it's hard. It's difficult. Like we've been perplexed and persecuted and struck down. But it's a matter of weight. Right? And there's a level of weight. There's an eternal weight of glory that the Lord is preparing for us forever in relationship with him that will so far outweigh any suffering of this life that we long for it and we look towards it and it is hopeful. See, this little while here is it's God graciously promising that the suffering will end. When it does, it will seem like nothing in comparison to glory. To the weight of glory that awaits us with our Savior forever. It's only temporary. Third motivation for standing firm is this. Our gracious God will restore us. Our gracious God will, will restore us. Verse 10 but after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God who is gracious and who gives all grace will restore us. Restore means to, to make right or to make complete. Our gracious God is going to see us through to completion. His, his grace is sufficient to see us through 
all our suffering in this life. And he will one day make it all right in us and in the world. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We will lack nothing that we have lost for his name's sake. And we will have everything in him forever. And he will heal us physically and spiritually. And he will make all the wrongs right. <laughs> That's hopeful. It's temporary. Our gracious God will restore his fourth and last reason. Here in this passage for our motivation for standing firm is this. God is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign over everything. Look down verse 10 and 11 here. But after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Verse 11, to him, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. All power belongs to him. He rules over it all. Nothing escapes his eye, including the devil and his ways. And nothing is outside of his power and his control. Romans chapter eight says that he works all things together for his glory and for our good. And this letter ends appropriately with worship. Uh, this past week, uh, we were, we've been reading through Romans with our kids. And this past week, we read through Romans eight. And it is just this beautiful chapter of scripture. And it just kind of keeps just going up and it gets more magnificent as you go until it kind of ends with this awesome thing like nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I was reading it and I finished and my son Corbin, when I was done, yells out, amen. <laughs> it's just like, that's right, dad. We want to worship. Let it be so, you know, kind of thing. This here, this is Peter doing that. After this letter, where he gets to reflect on the, the character and the grace and the promises of God, he ends it with, amen. To him be dominion and power forever and ever, amen. Let it be so and even so come, Lord Jesus. And there's this reflection on the fact that God is sovereign over it all. And that's hopeful. Because of our hope that we are not alone, that our suffering for Christ's sake is only temporary because of our hope that our gracious God will, will sustain us and restore us one day because of our hope that God is sovereign over all things. We can stand firm in our faith and we can by his power resist the devil. Let's, let's read this last paragraph here to this letter. Verse 12 by Silvanus or Silas, a faithful brother, as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this, this, all that is contained, all the truth contained in this letter, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. 
She who is at Babylon, she hears uh, your sister church who is at Babylon, probably referring to Rome, which is interesting that it says Babylon there. It's almost a, a reminder that we are exiles, right? So she who is at Babylon, your sister church in Rome, who is likewise chosen. That's a good reminder, right? Our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are likewise chosen. Send you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I love this ending. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. What an appropriate ending to a letter that's all about hope and faithfulness, even in suffering. We've been united with Christ and having received in union with him all the benefits of his salvation and the peace that we have in Christ. It's sufficient to see us through any suffering that we might experience in this life. we, We can have peace if we trust him for everything. And we will have peace one day, fully, and finally with him in glory. When we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and gaze upon his beauty. Um, as we've been going through this book of the Bible this summer, um, I just like to think back a lot to the man, Peter, that's behind this. The man that wrote down, that penned these inspired words from the Lord and just different aspects of his life that I wondered if he is thinking about as he writes this. And when I came to this kind of ending, I thought back to the conversation that he had with Jesus before he denied him. And uh, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat. Satan has demanded to have you all to sift you as wheat. He's like, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. When you have turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. I love that. Jesus is like, Simon, listen, Satan wants you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He's going to attack you. But here's what's amazing. Jesus says, I've prayed for you. And what has he prayed? He prays that he will stand firm in his faith. I've prayed that you will stand firm in what you believe, in my promises. And I love this. When you've turned to me again, this is what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen your brothers and sisters in the faith. First Peter. He did just that. And he is strengthening his brothers and sisters in Christ through this. And the the apostle who was restored by his savior penned these beautiful words in 1 Peter 2. He himself, Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live 
to righteousness. By his wounds, we've been healed. For you were strained like sheep. I can picture Peter saying, for I was strained like a sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We have peace. No matter what the world is throwing at you right now, no matter what you are trying to endure faithfully, no matter what the temptations look like, you can have peace with Christ. We have peace now because of our hope, because of the gospel. And we can live faithfully for his glory and the, and the spread of the gospel now by his grace, even in the midst of suffering. We want to stop now and we want to take some time to remember all the benefits of our salvation through Christ. Uh, scripture teaches us that when we come together for the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I, I want to invite you, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've turned from your sins and placed your trust in Christ for salvation, I want to invite you to take communion with us this morning. If you're here and you're like, I'm not a follower of Christ, I want to invite you to become one today. I want to invite you today to turn from all that is worthless and unsatisfying in this world and instead turn to the greatest treasure, the one who is all satisfying and have the hope that you can only have in relationship with him today, right now. Do that. If you have your communion up with you. Go ahead and take that out. Make sure you open the right end first. <laughs> the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, uh, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you for the broken body and the shed blood and the resurrection of your son. Thank you for, for the hope that, that we have because of his sacrifice. Thank you that we are seen now in his righteousness and not our own. Lord, we don't come to this moment 
sad and solemn, we come to this moment in victory because of what you have accomplished. We come to this moment trusting that there is hope in this life. There's hope in eternity. And we cling to the fact that we are not alone, that you have graciously given us brothers and sisters in Christ to do this with us, that no matter what this world throws at us, no matter what suffering we might endure for your sake, Lord, it is temporary and you have purposes in it. And one day it will be gone. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you will restore us, confirm us, exalt us because of the sacrifice of your son. And we thank you that you are sovereign over it all. <laughs> Lord, would you, would you help us? We're tempted so easily by the enemy and to turn away, and to, to give up, turn back in on our, ourselves. We're tempted so easily just to not endure and we get lulled to sleep. Would you help us? Would you help us to stay alert? I thank you that we don't do this on our own, that we do this through your power, that you've given us your spirit to rely on and your word through your spirit. Help us to stay alert and stay focused and keep our eyes on what is most important and to cling tightly to the hope that is only found in you. You are beautiful and we want to end even this morning together in worship to you is all dominion and power forever and ever. Amen.